My name is Christine Korme. I'm the head of communications at the Norwegian Shipowners Association, and I'm simply delighted to be hosting this latest podcast brought to you by Klavenes Combination Carriers. Today, I will be chatting with KCC CEO Engebret Dam about the company's newly launched environmental strategy 2023 to 2050. But first, let us remind ourselves about the fact that shipping remains the most energy-efficient way to move goods and raw materials around the world. It only actually has one downside. It's called emissions. So, Engebret, uh, you in KCC, you claim to deliver the lowest carbon shipping solution in dry bulk and tanker business. Is it only bragging? Or can you elaborate how this is possible? Well, you know, because it may sound like it, but you know, it's it's real, and it's all about efficiency. Because we have these ships that are unique in the world; they are one of a kind that can transport both tanker cargoes and dryable cargoes, and are built to efficiently clean between the two type of cargoes. And we employ the ships in trades where standard tankers and dryable vessels are sailing long distances without any cargo on board, typically into regions that are exporting dryable cargoes, South America, Australia. Uh, and by using our ships, combining the dry and the wet cargo with minimum ballast, empty time in between, we uh, actually transport much more cargoes than the standard ships. That means that we can, the, the fuel consumption per ton transported, and hence emission per ton, tra- ton transported, is so much lower than the standard ships that may ballast 30, 40, close to 50% of the time. So I think that's the key, the efficiency of our operations created by our unique ships and capabilities. So in ships. essence, never go empty-handed. No, never go empty-handed. That's the one of our, our mantras, yeah. Um, it's now three years since you presented your first uh, strategy. Um, as one of the first in Norwegian shipping, actually, but what have you learned? What worked and what didn't work? It's a long list, Christina, what we have learned. Um, I think basically when we started up, we also we were at the very early stage in our experience. Our data wasn't good enough. Uh, and, and we put up the plans based on what we know, knew and what we, we hoped for. But generally, I think, you know, we expected increased focus in the industry and also among the regulators on emission and shipping. And that has come true, but but still, still you know a bit a bit slower than we expected to be honest. Both when it comes to customer support and how long time it has taken to get regulations up and running. But what, what I'm very happy about is that we have uh, we have created company culture on shore that that has a, a common understanding of the importance of delivering on decarbonisation targets, both for the common goods, but also for the the strategy of the company and to increase our competitive advantage. So I'm, I'm very happy about that. And I'm also happy that we have managed to create a team of experts, uh, which we which are uh, involved in evaluation and implementan, implementation of energy efficiency measures, which is key for us to move forward, to make our, our business more efficient. So I think that that's at least part of the things that uh, has worked out a bit like we, we hoped and targeted to do. And you said it was slow in the uh, in the beginning getting the policy changes and other changes, uh, regulatory changes. Do you see that speeding up now? And and why has the change happened? Do you think? 
I think you know you see it in a bit it's two different uh, you know angles. In, in, if you talk about EU, with uh, which have actually decided to include shipping into the emission trading scheme from January two thousand and twenty-four, that that's a good one, and that's uh, and they moved pretty quickly, and it's a system that actually works. When it comes to IMO, the UN's body for for shipping, it's taken much longer time. Uh, and what has come in our mind is not really efficient and, and to some extent not logical. Uh, so we are still waiting for the IMO to get the acts together uh, and to, to create uh, uh, some predictable uh, uh, regulations and, 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 and we want a step-up plan for what's coming. And hopefully they will, they will succeed to do it, but it seems that we have many years to go before we are, we are coming there, as it looks at the moment. And that's a pity. Because that's what the industry needs. Yeah. Now, so back to Klarnes, what haven't you delivered on at this point comparing to your first uh, three-year-old environmental strategy? I think, you know, the general comment is that, you know, everything takes more time, longer time than you expect. And as you know, just looking at implementation of energy efficiency measures, you know, the lead time from starting up discussions with a supplier until you have the 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 stuff installed on board your ships maybe one and a half to two years, so that that surprised us a little bit that you know it takes so much time, and um, otherwise I think you know what we have delivered on I think we have we set up targets that will reduce CO two emission average CO two emission per ship by fifteen percent from two thousand and up to two thousand twenty two relative to two thousand eighteen. Uh, and we delivered 14%. So I think that's pretty good. I'm very happy about that. When it comes to the carbon intensity, the so-called EEOI, we had a target of 25%. We only ma- managed to do 9%, which was, a, you know, not that, would you call, uh, satisfiable. But again, it, it, it has something to do with the base year we had. 2018 was a good year for us, uh, both when it comes to ballast, the, the, the cargo on board the ships, the waiting time. And then, of course, we since 2018 we have we have faced in a new to, totally new fleet, the so-called clean moose, that has taken a bit longer time for us to get everything right when it comes to training efficiency. Uh, so that is one of the reasons, and the other is the effects of COVID, that has actually led to a lot of inefficiencies in ports, a longer waiting time, and also some trade effects that had some impact. But we, I think we are coming now. But again. When it comes to the carbon intensity, that that may be our main disappointment in terms of what we have delivered. But again, looking ahead, as you may have seen in our strategy, that's also one of our main targets: focus on the efficiency of the transportation work, because that's where we believe we have a unique advantage and being in in front of most most others with with our combination carriers. And what you just described, actually, when it comes to everything takes time, it sounds a little bit like you're hurrying up slowly and that you have to l- live with the fact that thing thing takes longer time than what you initially wished for maybe i think it's right because you know we we, we have to deliver you know a, a return to our investors we have to to show that we do we we implement initiatives that actually are sown and good uh, and again and typically what we do then is that we test it out on one or two ships first before we're rolling it out on the whole fleet and that means that you then have the time lag or delays in two stages, meaning that before you have the whole fleet implemented, it takes longer time. 
But I think that's the only thing. You have to do it. You have to do it in, in the right sequence. Otherwise, you can lose a lot of money. And that's what we are. It's not professional if you don't do it. Now, um, you have stated before that uh, KCC aims to be a driver in the transition towards low-carbon shipping. And uh, there are three uh, key elements to this strategy. Let's take a look at them. The first one, enhancing the efficiency of your own fleet and uh, operations. What does that really mean? I think it goes to, when it comes to the efficiency of the energy efficiency of the ships, it is how can we make the ships go through water and and deliver the transportation work with as little fuel consumption and emission as possible. So that's the physical ships itself. Uh, and that, that's typically, you know, everything from uh, what we call low-hanging fruits, which are typically the anti-fouling, which the paint you use other than the ships. So you, you use no silicon anti, uh, anti-fouling, which which then makes that the growth from, uh, from sea uh, will Will, will not stick as, as quickly and it, the ships will move with less resistance through water uh, until the, the bigger investments that we do, that we have, we are installing two uh, big initiatives now this year on two ships uh, and, and they are, are costing each three and a half million dollars per ship and that's what we call uh, silver stream uh, air, air lubrific, lubrification systems, which is actually also creating a carpet of bubbles under the ships to ensure that they also move with less resistance under, uh, through water. Uh, so that, that's big investments. Uh, and, and they are, we're doing it on two ships this year, and then we have a targeting to put it on board all our modern ships. So another nine ships from 2024 to 2026. So, so, that, is, um, so that has something to do with the efficiency of, of the ships itself. And I think we have... 15 different initiatives on that. Wow, that's quite amazing. From the very small one to the big bubbles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, the second one, applying new technological solutions and fuels. And you have said that digitalization and decarbonization is really the twin targets of shipping. So there are the two Ds. Now, say a little bit more around that. I think, you know, it starts up with this fundamental uh, idea is that, you know, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. You need to have data to act. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the digitalization helps us with, you know, real-time information. You collect data from the ships, typically critical information as weather, vessel performance, fuel consumption. And by getting the information real-time, you can act quickly and you can do corrective actions in order to improve performance. That, that typically then will translate into more efficiency and lower emission. And then the second thing is that we, you know, we're putting on board so much new stuff on motor ships and the crew has too much work to do. So we're working hard. How can we automate things on board to create more time for the crew to focus on efficiency? And that is very important because it's a limit what, the, what our very capable crew uh, can, can do without you taking away some tasks when you add new. And the last one is, you know, artificial intelligence. And we are in, in the starting point on that. And that's typically using vessel-specific information, historical information, to predict how things will move, will be ahead in time. And that could be, you know, uh, typically, you know, 
uh, that are routing specifically uh, made specific for each type of ship, for each type of trade. Uh, and, and I think that, that that's promising. We can use that on more, more areas. So in totality, I think, you know, better data is important to act and to improve. So some say data is the new fuel, right? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> now, the third element uh, in your strategy, close cooperation with customers, suppliers, and other ship owners. And when I saw that, that sort of uh, reminded me that somebody said, well, collaboration is the new f- fuel. Now, how does this work out for you? I think you, if you talk first about how we act in, in the industry and cooperate with other ship owners, we are we, we're active in, in different associations and, and taking you know we, we are using quite a bit of time on it we have we are sit, we are we are one of the founding members of the sea cargo charter and uh, we are also now an active member becoming active member in something called sustainable shipping initiative and and taking active part in 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 this work uh, and also we cooperate with some ship owners with you know a common understanding and common ideas as us to to share experience of what we're doing in order to learn from each other so I think that that's quite important because, you know, we are a fairly small company and if we can't learn from others, we use more time to do to do this, uh, to, to do the, the necessary changes and, and efficiency improvements. When it comes to customers, I think you can split it in two. I mean, one is the corporation to do, do the, uh, the service to our customers more efficient. It's everything from filling up the ships, how much to make sure that you use the full capacity of the ships for, on every trip. And especially in the tanker side, there are more fixed type of lot size and cargo sizes that the traders are using, meaning that you end up that you may sail with much less cargo than actually the ship can do. So that's something we work with customers to improve. The other is, you know, planning, scheduling, making sure that the ships are having very little waiting time in the ports, quick turnaround time, and also that we, the, the, the planning is made in a way that we don't need to go at high speed. So more or less limiting the high-speed voyages where you have a very high fuel consumption and hence very high emission. So that is, you know, the cooperation. And then the second part with customers is how can you, through the cooperation with customers, get funding or part funding for some of the initiatives you do? And that's typically to, to just put in, to establish a cost of carbon emission. Because today there are no, except for what's coming in EU, carbon emission doesn't cost anything. So if you have a mechanism where actually it costs money for the ship owner, it leads to the right decisions and the right, the right way of acting. Uh, and also the, the funding from customers, so part funding, can help to, to fund new energy efficiency measures that is difficult to defend based on the fuel saving potential. And thirdly, also having funds to try out new fuels, which are far more expensive than today's fuels. So what we have done is we have established uh, in, in one contract from, from uh, starting up now from January this year, where actually if the, the, the freight rate depends on our emission performance relative to baseline, meaning that if we overperform this baseline, we get higher freight. If we underperform the baseline, we get lower freight. And now that's I, quite a driver, I'd say. Yeah, no, and that's what, of course, we hope we can get into more more customer contracts. Uh, and I think it means that, you know, we may end up from time to time to, to get lower freight, pay our customers money because we are underperforming. But then, of course, all organization knows that when we took that decision to 
I mean, or we, we did a mistake in or whatever was the reason for it, it has a cost. And that's extremely good discipline for for our organization to make sure that we we actually, I mean, carbon has a cost. And it should be that way. Now, these were the three elements of the strategy uh, or the three key elements, uh, I should uh, say. And we have talked a lot about what you as a company can control, uh, except uh, policies and some regulations. But there are other things you cannot control either, like the, the current uncertain geopolitical times we're living in. And, you know, there is a possible conflict with between U.S. and China on the horizons. What are your your re- reflections on the current geopolitical situation? I think it's it, it's of course complicated, uh, and 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 of course this uncertainty is, is something that you know shipping industry probably just have to live with to some extent because China is the second biggest economy in the world. It is extremely important for the dry bulk market, which actually counts for something like between forty and forty five percent of the total ton mile in the dry bulk market. So whatever we do as a company, you can't escape it. So of course, uh, and we also see on the on the dry dockings of our fleet and even new built, China will be the, the natural choice for a company like ours. So I think, you know, we we, we, we may, you know, work to, to, to improve further you know, the diversification of earnings. But I think, you know, as an industry, we just have to live with it. And... Uh, And then, of course, try to do some having some mitigating actions, but uh, but you know to escape it, then then we have to f- do something else. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it keeps you up at night. No, uh, you know it it doesn't really because it, it you know important thing is that you focus on things you can do something with about. Yeah. And I can't uh, I can't do anything about Mr. Biden and Mr. Xi, unfortunately. <laughs> But you can do something about KCC. So this geopolitical situation, do you think it would affect those go- environmental goals and the key strategies that we just talked about? It could impact it if it if a future conflict will will reduce, you know, the or change trade flows. So typically between Australia and and the Far East, China is an important part of the dry bulk commodities or the destination for dryable commodities we transport on the way back from Australia. So in case of a, a war or a very tense situation, that could impact trade flows and could be negative for us. So that, of course, for us, it's important to, to have a diversified, uh, what we call, customer base, and, and uh, including then cargoes to Japan, Korea, Taiwan, and so on. So uh, that's the only thing I, I think we can do. Diversification. Diversification, yeah. Uh, KCC has uh, received one of the best scores in Norwegian shipping on the quality of transparency of its environmental uh, reporting and disclosure. Uh, why do you believe so much in this transparency of reporting? I think, you know, it, it this industry, and, and I think it goes for many industries, there are a bit too much greenwashing in terms of uh, when it comes to communication on decarbonization. And I think it's... So basically you're saying there's a lot of talk out there. There's a lot of talk and little action. I think that's basically where we are. So I think to to become credible, the industry has to be more transparent, tell 
to report what they're doing, show, uh, get it verified by external sources, uh, and and then you then you then you create credibility because you 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 can measure whether you are doing what you are you are saying, walk the talk, uh, and and I think in, in in our company we we try to do that. We try to be transparent. We still have a lot to learn. We have EY coming in and doing audits of uh, part audits of our uh, our environmental reporting, uh, and we also. As you mentioned, have got quite go- good score from amongst others CDP governance group, and we know also target to to get an Ecovadis and ESG rating company into to to measure and to evaluate how we are reporting because we really use a lot of resources to to be uh, you know to, or target to be among the best in the industry in that sense. What else can you do to reduce your impact on the environment? In addition to everything else that you have mentioned, is there anything we have left out in this conversation? You know, there's a lot of things. You know, the as you say, the the environmental footprint is more than carbon emission. Uh, there are there are a couple of things. Typically, it's waste. I mean, a ship produces waste, and of course, we target to reduce waste and increase the share. A waste that's being recycled. It could be, you know, everything from used mooring ropes. So we are participating in, participating in a project to ensure that our facilities to recycle the mooring ropes because they have to be changed from time to time, quite regularly. So that's one. Uh, other is, you know, local air pollution, which is typically NOx, not not uh, CO2. Uh, and and modern ships, at least built over recent years, have a, a system called SCR system that reduces the NOx remission by 80%. The strange thing in this world is that it's only in the US and Europe where you're obliged to utilize it. So actually you have created a, a when you build the ships, you have, to, you have to install the equipment, but you only, use, you only have to use it in, in a very limited part of the world. So we have, we have said that you know, we, we want to use this in every port we are. But we have said that it costs a little bit to, to, to burn it, to use it. You need uh, to use a, a, di- a different type of fuel in ports. You, it, it has also some other implications. Uh, and what we're saying is that we are willing to do it in every port, but we need our customers to, to pay a part of it. So if our customers are willing to pay, let's say, 50%, we'll pay the other 50% to do it and use it. So that's what we are trying. So every time we fix a ship, we'll propose to the customers that we do a joint venture to use the the SCR system to reduce local emission, NOx emission by 80%. Now, speaking about customers paying, I'm thinking that there might be a change in the willingness to customers to, to pay because also they can be asked by their customers, how is this transported? And if you if you don't have a low uh, emission uh, plan to show, Uh, then they might say, well, then we'll go to somebody else to have our cargo shipped. How, what, what do you think about that? I think, you know, the the customers are uh, in the dry bulk and tank industry are a bit further away from the end consumers. So typically, you see it today more in typical container shipping and in and car transportation, which have much closer to the end user. But it, it's coming, it's coming step by step in in our industry as well the tank and dry bulk industry but 
so far, I have to say it's a few of our customers that actually are willing to put up money and to pay for reducing emissions. They are preparing, they are learning their, their, you know, their own footprint and the data. They are, uh, they are trying to see how can they get uh, emission reductions through efficiency, which naturally should be the start. Uh, so we have seen we have seen um, some willingness, but of course, if you don't have any regulations that put a price on carbon, I mean, it, it's it, it will be more uh, motivation for companies will then of course be to prepare for something that may come, which are likely to come, and to be to, to be you know to, to just prepare for the the fact that their customers again would put demands on their uh, total emission, including the ocean transport. Yeah. So again, regulation is the key here. You will not have customer voluntarily paying for green shipment in your segment, like you said. At least the limited scale. To limited get it scale. up to get it up to where it should be, you need some regulations. So at least start of, of regulations and possibly a step up plan to how to move forward. My final question, Ingrid, you claim KCC uh, is uh, best positioned to deliver on future transition to new low and zero emission fuels. Best positioned. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it may be that we are using two strong words, uh, Christine, but I think the, 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 the thing is that what we know about new type of fuels is they are at least double price, maybe three times the price of current fuel. And how can we ease transition to new fuels is to be that much more efficient. Meaning that by, by in our case, we have ships that are having unique trading efficiency. And if we are succeeding to improve the operational efficiency and the energy efficiency of the ships, then our target is that we should be you know, 50% lower carbon emission or fuel, fuel consumption per ton transported compared to today's standard solution. And that means that if you then consume 50% less fuel per ton transported than the others, then of course the transition to the new type of expensive fuels will be that much easier. But it, it's never going to be easy, Christina. It's, it, it's, it's very tough. And you know the, the downside with coming with numbers is that somebody will hold you to it. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Uh, and that of course is what we, that's why we put up the targets because we are we are not afraid of uh, of pu- putting up targets and being transparent. And we know we're prob- probably going to fail on some. But if you don't put any targets, how are you expected to move forward? I mean, then you are standing still. So I think that's the base that you need to have emissions, need to dare to put up targets and dare to move, move ahead uh, and, and try to uh, achieve the targets. That's all we can do. So thank you so much, Engelbrecht. I should add that the new um, environmental strategy is out on KCC's um, web pages. You can deep dive into it there. And also, this is not the last podcast on the strategy because Craig Eason will be back with uh, episode number two talking about fuel transition because we didn't go into fuels at all, did we, Engelbrecht? No, we didn't. That's for tomorrow. So thank you, Christina. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ingebret.